This morning, uh, we are continuing it. Last week, we were in Matthew chapter 3, and we're continuing in Matthew chapter 3. And uh, we've been talking a lot about baptism, obviously, the baptism of John, and John baptizing people in the wilderness. And that, as we continue in the chapter 3, we're going to stay on baptism for a little bit longer. And this morning, it's actually very appropriate. There's, there's two ordinances or what some denominations might call sacraments. They are sacred commands or they are orders that the church is given by Jesus to follow. And we're going to see one of them in Scripture at the beginning here, baptism, and then we're going to participate in the second one, which is communion. And so as we're considering baptism, as I'm talking uh, briefly on baptism, uh, I'm hoping that part of your mind at the same time is staying fixed on communion because we're going to sort of look ahead to it and we'll be able to draw some connections between these ordinances as we look at baptism and then move into communion. And so last week we looked at baptism in terms of repentance and new identity, that baptism is a sign or signifies belonging or entering into a new kingdom, entering into the kingdom of heaven and uh, becoming a new people and becoming a membership in a new people in, in the kingdom of God, the true Israel. And it was also an emblem or a picture of cleansing, of purification, of repentance, uh, cleansing from the pollution of sin and uh, leaving that sin behind and forsaking it. And that's the largest part of what John's baptism would have signified. What it doesn't yet signify was union with Christ in his death and resurrection because historically that hasn't happened yet. And so... Part of what we want to see here is that God is taking baptism, which did exist in the Old Testament. He's layering in or exposing new meaning in baptism, in John's baptism. And then he's going to expose, and Jesus is going to reveal even more meaning in baptism as things goes on. So there's, there's sort of a progression of revelation of what God intends to convey by this ordinance or by this sacrament of baptism and that it is significant that it is not something to be taken lightly that God has continually layered in meaning and significance and purpose to baptism and we just want to see that now uh, move even further in the baptism of Jesus and so in Matthew 3 at the beginning John is baptizing his kinsmen fellow Israelites and we get the impression that those Israelites are readily accepting his baptism of repentance and then we see that the Pharisees and the Sadducees they come to see the baptism and they don't readily participate in that baptism and we'll get to that again in a few weeks actually that's significant that the Pharisees and the Sadducees don't readily participate in the baptism of John and then thirdly at some point and this is the text that we're getting to this morning At some point, as John is out in the wilderness, in the Jordan River, uh, baptizing these people, Jesus actually comes out to John for the surprising purpose that he be baptized himself. And so we get this amazing scene where the one, the Messiah, who John is the forerunner of, has now come to be baptized by John. And that's what we're looking at this morning in verses uh, 13 to 17. And I'm really just going to look at verses 13 to 15. But we'll read the whole paragraph. Uh, Let me just pray before we read God's word. Father God, we we just uh, open our hearts and our minds again to your word. Your word speaks. Your spirit speaks through your word. Jesus speaks to us through your word. The truth is here for us to grasp and to apprehend for ourselves. 
And so I pray that you would just unpack for us uh, this incredible picture of baptism and why you have commanded it, why you have ordered it and made it an ordinance, why it is important to us and what we should take from it uh, in our meaning today as Christians. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew 3, 13 to 17 reads this way, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So now, all three of the synoptic gospels, what they're called, record the baptism. So that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they describe this event of Jesus uh, being baptized by John and him coming out of the water and the dove and the voice. But Mark and Luke don't include this section that Matthew does. Namely, that John was hesitant to baptize Jesus. And, And Matthew includes that hesitancy, and Matthew also includes in his depiction of this, Jesus' answer to John the Baptist. And so, clearly, Matthew wants us to learn something significant here in this dialogue between John and Jesus, because he preserves this for us. But what is significant about John's hesitation? And then what is significant about Jesus' answer? Because they're both recorded, and I think there's something for us to see in each of these things. And so firstly, there's John's hesitation. And John's hesitation comes from this fact, I think. It's been clearly emphasized in the earlier verses, and we looked at them last week, that, that John's baptism was meant as a baptism of repentance. He says it four different ways. He says it in verse uh, 2, he says it in verse 6, he says it in verse 8, and then he says it again in verse 11. This is a baptism of repentance. And yet, even though we're not told any details about how exactly, John clearly already knows about Jesus, already knows who Jesus is. John knows that when Jesus comes, that this is the one whom he has been proclaiming and preparing the way before. And so John knows that Jesus doesn't need to repent. So as, as John is teaching and baptizing, he's shocked to see Jesus get in line at the Jordan River to be baptized. And when it, his turn kind of comes, John knows that it would be totally inappropriate for Jesus to be baptized for repentance. He's saying, it says, John would have prevented him. Like, I don't want to baptize you. I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me. John knows that this is wrong because his baptism is one of repentance. And so that's his protest. He's protesting because Jesus doesn't need to repent. We see in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Speaking of Jesus. Jesus is sinless, sinless from birth, lived a perfect life, the life that we could not live so that we could take on that perfect life and that perfect righteousness. So he's protesting because Jesus doesn't need to repent. It seems inappropriate. It doesn't seem fitting to baptize Jesus. And secondly, 
he says, well, I also need to be baptized by you. John also understands that he has to identify with Jesus. He's baptizing people into this new identity, into the kingdom of heaven. He knows that we need a new identity to be associated with heaven. And he isn't going to baptize Jesus who came from heaven into the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't make any sense. And so his protest is, Jesus, you need to baptize me. I need your kingdom. You're the one who should be baptizing me. I need your identity, which is true. John's not wrong. And so it seems to John just at first impression that this is all backwards. Um, Jesus, you need to be baptizing me. I'm the one who needs to repent, not you. You're the one who's righteous, not me. I need to enter into your kingdom. You know, it needs to be the other way around. And John's right on both counts. But it's only half of the story. And so Jesus answers John and says, it's okay. I know that you think this is inappropriate, but I'm telling you that it is appropriate. I'm telling you that it is fitting for us to do this. And Jesus' answer tells us some very important and significant things about baptism, about why it is appropriate and necessary at this point in history that Jesus be baptized. Firstly, it's that it's appropriate and it's fitting because even though he doesn't need to repent, Jesus does have a clean conscience before God. Baptism is this ritual that has layers of meaning and and God has been rapidly exposing more layers of that meaning during this period of ministry of John and now moving into Jesus. And one of the meanings of baptism and what it takes on post-repentance, and this is important that we get the order right, remember that the message of John is to repent and then be baptized. And so it follows repentance. And the meaning that baptism takes on post-repentance is that the person being baptized is sincere in their pledge to seek after a clean conscience before God. In other words, they're sincere in their pledge to be a disciple or to be a citizen in the new kingdom and that that is their purpose. And we see this in 1 Peter 3.21. Peter says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so in this regard, there's nothing inappropriate about Jesus' baptism. Jesus can clearly be baptized with a clear conscience before God. He's sincere in his approach to God, and he's sincerely committed to pursuing a clear conscience before the Father. He doesn't need to repent in order to arrive at that sincerity. But baptism is fitting because Jesus is really sincere. He is, as um, Allison talked about uh, earlier, he is sincere and committed to obedience and following after the Father. And so in that sense, it is fitting. Jesus is committed, secondly, to that obedience to God. And tied up in that notion of appealing to God for a clear conscience is that our behavior will follow our trust. In other words, it's fitting that someone who is being baptized is committed to obedience to the lordship of God, their new king, and, and by obedience they keep their conscience clear. And in that regard, it is fitting that Jesus be baptized because he's fully committed to that obedience. John 5.19 says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And so it is especially fitting that Jesus obey and be an example of obedience in baptism because Jesus is committed to obey the Father. 
And so in, in both of those regards, in terms of Jesus' clear conscience before God and his appeal to God for a clear conscience, his sincerity in his discipleship and following on this earth after God, and in his obedience, his sincerity to pursue obedience, it's all fitting that he be baptized. But Jesus is committed to and sincere in a very specific kind of, of obedience. It's obedience unto death. And here, Specifically, baptism begins of Jesus begins to take on new meaning and new purpose. So he is specifically obedient unto death. And you can read about that in Philippians 2.8 where he humbles himself even to the point of death on a cross. And he is expanding the identification and purpose of baptism. Baptism now means more than citizenship in a new kingdom of heaven, but baptism now means that we identify with Jesus himself in death and resurrection. So pictured in the immersion of going down into and coming back out of the water is the picture of the death that is to come for Jesus and the resurrection. And so just as John has taken baptism and added new meaning to it for Jewish converts in terms of the nation of Israel not being enough, you need to get into the nation of heaven, then Jesus now is revealing even more meaning, its final meaning perhaps in the new covenant that ultimately signifies our identification with Christ. But before that can happen, and this is, this is what shocks John, and, the, and, the, and this is what is shocking to us when Jesus gets baptized, is that before we can identify with Christ in his death and resurrection, he has to first identify with us in our sin. And so it is necessary, or it is fitting, or it is appropriate for Jesus to identify with us in order to make his righteousness and obedience apply to those who would believe and follow him. So I think it's helpful here to see where I'm coming from. If we look back at that prophet Isaiah again, and we see in Isaiah 53, and if you go to Isaiah 53, it, it speaks so clearly about the Messiah who is to come, who will be despised and who will be rejected by men, who will be pierced for our sin, who will be crushed for our disobedience, by whose wounds we will be healed. That, that's the chapter I'm talking about in Isaiah, right? That's ringing some bells for you. So in that chapter of Isaiah that talks about the Messiah that's to come, it goes on to say, in Isaiah 53:11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear the iniquities. He shall bear their iniquities. So you see, what Isaiah is saying, and what Jesus has said, and what God has said, is that my righteous one, my son who is coming, is going to be he's going to make many be accounted for righteousness and he's going to bear their iniquities. And so there's a sense here in which Jesus has to first identify with us. Paul will later on explain it in Romans 5, 18 to 19. He says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. What does this have to do with Jesus' baptism? What I, what, I, what I think Jesus wants us to see here is that by Jesus being baptized, he actually identifies with us. Jesus comes and undergoes the baptism of John. He undergoes our baptism of repentance, or you could put it the other way, our baptism of unrighteousness, so that we can then take part in his resurrection to righteousness. Or let me put it another way. Jesus comes to be baptized, or in the baptism of Jesus, the one without sin, who had no sin, took his place among those who had no righteousness. You see, 
Jesus says to John, this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. I who have no sin need to take my place among you who have no righteousness so that you who have no righteousness will be able to identify and take your place in me and have my righteousness. And so he says to him, it is fitting that we do this to fulfill all righteousness. I'm going to fulfill the righteousness of the law. I'm going to be a perfect law keeper. I am going to be the righteousness that you can't be, and so I need to identify with you. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul again, writing to a different church, puts it this way. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you see, there's this exchange where Jesus says, not only do you need to have your identity in me, but I first have to have my identity in you. I have to take my place among you so that you can then identify in me. Now, it may be helpful here. It may not be helpful, but I'm going to describe it. It may be helpful here to remember the word that's used for righteousness, okay? So just put your thinking caps on here for a little bit. The word that's used for righteousness in the New Testament uh, is diakasun, and we translate it as the noun righteousness, right? That's the thing that Jesus accomplished. It's what he possesses and what he transfers to us. And it's, but then if you take it in its verb form, diakio, it's translated justified. And so whenever you run into the word justification or justified, you have to understand that it is actually the same word as righteous or righteousness that's just in the verb form. And so... What Jesus is essentially saying here, if you verbified this, that's another word I just invented, verbify. (laughs) If you verbify this phrase to fulfill all righteousness, what Jesus is saying is to complete all justification, right? And so he's saying, I need to do this to fulfill all righteousness, or put another way, I need to do this to complete all justification. You're not going to get justified before God unless I do this. Okay, so it's just... Two different ways of of looking at that word, whether it's through righteousness or whether you're looking at it through justification. It means the same thing, but it can help us to see it in different ways. So the point is, is that whatever way you want to translate it, whatever way you want to phrase it, Jesus says it's appropriate or fitting that he and John go through this process. It's important that he and John undertake this, this meaningful occurrence so that Jesus, who is without sin, enters into and identifies with our sinfulness, so that we, without any righteousness of our own, can identify and enter into his righteousness. Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's work in the world. He is the final goal and consummation of all God's saving activity. 2 Corinthians 1, 20-22 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. This is why it is through Him that we utter our Amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And so you see, it's fitting then that Jesus identifies with us in this baptism so that we can then identify with Him. The final point, it is fitting that we can now identify with Jesus that he has identified with us. Romans 6, 3-4 explains this the most clearly, I think. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might also walk in newness of life. And so baptized Christians should look back on their baptism as profoundly significant. It's, it's spiritually profitable for us as believers to return to our baptism and renew our grasp on its meaning and apply the significance of it in our life today. You don't need to be rebaptized to recapture that. You simply need to renew its meaning and purpose in your relationship with Jesus. It's a reminder of this identity switch, of this great exchange that the one without sin came to identify with those that were without righteousness so that we could have the righteousness by identifying with him in his death and resurrection. It is important for us to sort of look back on that and renew it. The importance of baptism then as we've looked at it is in terms of repentance, in terms of righteousness and justification, and importance in terms of membership, of belonging or identifying. And so just as... Or Jesus left us with these two ordinances, baptism and communion. And both of them, as I was doing the study this week, I was just struck by it falling on a communion Sunday. And I was struck by how both of these ordinances speak so strongly to shared identity or to union with Christ. Jesus was baptized by John, the one without sin, identifying himself with the ones without righteousness. He took on our sin. We're baptized to identify ourselves in the death and resurrection of Jesus and take on his righteousness. And now, as we go to communion, we participate again in an ordinance of identity. By the bread and the cup, we participate symbolically again in taking on for ourselves the very nature of Jesus. Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. Unless you participate in me, there is no participation for you in my kingdom. And so these are visceral, they're experiential, they are tangible reminders of us for what is real, who we really are and how we're really meant to live our Christian lives. Both baptism and communion remind us that we really are citizens of a new kingdom. We really do belong to Christ. We really have access to his righteousness. And we are meant to live not by merely trying hard to imitate the example of Jesus, but by letting the living spirit of Jesus live in us because we are united with him. And so in this baptism where John is shocked and surprised and amazed that Jesus would come to be baptized by him, Jesus is basically in his answer and in his act of being baptized unfolding for us all kinds of new meaning in baptism that John just wasn't even aware of yet. It was still in the future. But Jesus says to him, no, this is fitting. I need to enter into my identity with you. I am fully human. I need to be baptized along with you. I need to enter into my identity with you because later on you're going to need to join in my identity. You're going to have to have membership in me and my righteousness and my body. And so Jesus says, it's fitting that I do this. This is how I'm going to save the world. This is how I'm going to fulfill all righteousness. And so this morning as we come to communion now, and we're going to do that if I can have my helpers come forward, as we come to communion, we just kind of want to remember and connect these two things that both of these sacraments, both of these ordinances that Jesus has given us are explicitly and purposefully and intentionally ordinances and and activities that remind us that we are unified to Christ if we trust and believe in him, 
if he is our hope, if the Lord Jesus Christ is your hope this morning, if you trust in him, if you have confidence in him, if you have been baptized into his righteousness and you take communion with him, then this symbol is of that unification, of that union, that we have his righteousness. That's real. That's not just an idea. That's not just a symbol. We really have his righteousness, and we really live out our righteousness because of his union with us by his spirit. We don't just try hard to copy what Jesus did. We actually rest in our identity with Jesus and let him live out his life through us. Let's remember that in communion today. Let me just pray. Father God, as we come now to communion, you picture for us again this unity, which was shocking to John and should be shocking to us, that you would identify with us, that your son, the righteous one who knew no sin, would undergo this baptism to become, in essence, part of the human race, very purposefully, to say, I'm with you. And now I will live the life you couldn't live. I will die the sacrificial death that you cannot die. And I'll be raised to new life as proof that it is enough. And then I will establish a new covenant in my in membership, in my body, in my blood. I'll establish this new covenant. And, we'll, and you'll remember it in communion until I return again. Father, this is, this is deep stuff. It's stuff we need more than 20 minutes on a Sunday morning to fully grasp. And so I pray even as we go home today after this communion time and we go into our life groups and we get to open up your word, different places where you talk about this baptism and talk about uh, this membership and belonging that we have in you, Lord, that, that you would reignite it in the lives of those of us who have your spirit and that we would understand the significance of it. In Christ's name, amen.